text for this morning's worship service is taken from James 4, the verses 13 through 17. Let's read that together. Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you are to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. After the preaching, we will sing from hymn 63, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we are well acquainted with the words DV, which, as you know, means Deo Valente, Latin for the Lord willing, especially when it comes to official announcements and church-related activities of future events, we would not think of leaving those words out. It is in those cases always a matter of course that we use these words. That is the way we have been brought up, for we have been taught to realize that whatever plans we make they may not always come to fruition. For as Solomon says in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And so it is a good practice that in making plans, we always take it into consideration that we do so the Lord willing. We do not know what the next day will bring. For our lives are totally in the hands of the Lord. As we can read elsewhere in Proverbs, in chapter 16, verse 9, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And yet, congregation, even though we faithfully insert these words, DV, wherever we think it is required, we must take heed that we also subscribe to the reality of this biblical truth. Isn't it true that too often we are so tied to this earthly life and so busy with our daily activities that we forget that the Lord directs our steps and our lives? And therefore these words should not only be inscribed on our official announcements, but especially on our hearts. And that is why James tells his readers... In all you do, submit yourselves to the will of God. And that's also the theme for this morning's service. And then we will look at two things, why we must submit to God's will, and secondly, how we must submit to God's will. And so the theme for this morning's service is, in all you do, submit yourselves to the will of God. Why we must submit to God's will, and how we must submit to God's will. 
The author of this letter is James, the brother of the Lord Jesus. We know from John 7, verse 5, that the brothers of Christ at first did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who would be the Savior of the world. It was not until after his resurrection that they believed in him. And Jesus' brother James soon became one of the pillars of the church, as Paul calls him in Galatians 2 verse 9. From Acts 15 verse 3, we know that James was also an important leader in the Jerusalem conference. And this brother of the Lord Jesus made quite an impact on the early church. He became well known throughout the churches. And now he writes this letter. He says that he writes this letter to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That means that he is writing to Christians everywhere. From the content, however, it is clear that he has especially the Jewish Christians in mind. After the persecution in Jerusalem became so severe that most of these Jewish Christians established themselves throughout the Roman Empire and were scattered as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Syrian Antioch. And now James writes this letter because there were several things that bothered him about what was happening in the churches all over. He saw, for example, a great disparity between the rich and the poor and the way the rich members lacked compassion for the poor members of the congregation. And he deals especially with that disparity in the way that he gives expression in the church in chapter 5. But here in the last part of chapter 4 in the text, he expresses his concern especially about the false confidence of these rich members. And he addresses them in somewhat of a, a brusque tone. He says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. The picture that James is painting here is quite familiar to the readers. For you see, the first century after Christ was a period of great commercial activity. At that time there was relative peace and the peoples of the various nations were all united under the rule of Rome and under the common Greek language. Also, the roads were fairly good and the seas were generally kept safe by the Romans from pirates. Now, more than any other time in the history of mankind, commerce could flourish under those favorable conditions. As you walk among the ruins of that ancient civilization, as I have done in the last few weeks, and then you can see the evidence of all the commerce that went on in those days. The peoples were united by a common language and by a single ruler. Commerce had never been able to flourish as in those days. And the Jews were especially active in the commerce of that day. They were the traditional sea and caravan traders, and they combined domestic trade with foreign trade. They would trade all over the Mediterranean with all their goods. 
And when they left their hometowns, such merchants would be gone at times for up to a year before they would return. Before they would embark on such trips, they would make very precise plans as to where they would go, how long they would stay there, and what they would trade. And they had great confidence in the way that they planned things. Based on past experiences, they felt sure that they would be able to return with a fat profit and with their mission a great success. They had great faith in their abilities to make a profit. In that regard, the businessman of today is not much, is, is somewhat different. Today's distances between the trading centers of the world have been virtually eliminated by modern means of communication. And the business activities are somewhat different from the first century after Christ. Now, a businessman does not have to go all over the world in order to sell his products except to lay the original contract. He can pick up the phone and so he can make his deals and have his products shipped by modern means of transportation. And in those days, they would not have to take along all, and, and today, you do not have to take along all your wares and sell them on the spot. In those days, they would do that, and they would include such things as pottery, clothes, and spices. Today's businesses are more sophisticated. Yet, one thing has not changed over the years. The bottom line is still the same. Profit. And in order to make that profit, today's businessman also carefully lays out his plan of attack and is very deliberate and meticulous in the way that he does business. A good businessman uses all the resources at his disposal to prosper in what he does. He borrows large amounts of money and meticulously forecasts his profits. He also carefully lays contracts and takes courses so that he can learn more about his own business and about the cultures of the people that he is dealing with. He spares no effort in order to succeed. But that is not something only a businessman does. All of us do. We all make our plans, don't we? We all make plans to buy a house or a farm or a business. And then we figure out our mortgages, how long it will take to pay it off, and how much money we will have left over for other luxuries. And when you get older, you plan at what age you will retire and how much money you will have left at that time. And we learn to plan our lives already at an early age. Young people are taught to choose a career for themselves at an early age and to take courses in school which will help them realize that goal. And so they look forward to the day when they will realize their dreams. They look forward to the day that they will have their driver's license, to the day that they will graduate, and to the day that they will get married and have children. It seems that all our lives are spent planning things and looking forward to the day that our plans are being realized. And once they are realized, then we make new plans. And we use all our ingenuity and resources 
in order to bring these things about. And you may ask, what's wrong with that? Why is James being negative here? Should we not make plans for ourselves? Should we not regulate our lives? And is it wrong for a businessman to try to make as much profit as he can? Well, congregation, James himself will agree that in essence, that is not wrong in itself. And it is noteworthy that James does not criticize their desire to make a profit and to plan things either. And the fact that they carefully lay out their plans. For it is not unscriptural to trade with others for gain. The nation Israel throughout the years engaged in trade with other nations as well. Nowhere does the Lord God condemn such activity. What then was wrong? Well, these people of whom James writes did not put things into a proper perspective. They were arrogant and self-confident. They thought that it depended all on their efforts. And they had everything figured out. They had great faith in their own abilities and in all the plans that they had so carefully made. In their way of thinking, nothing could substantially go wrong with their plans. And they did not sufficiently take God into account in all this. They lived as if they would exist forever in this world. And so James condemns their whole attitude. He condemns their state of mind. And therefore he says to them, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You do not know what it will bring. For your life is nothing more than a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In saying this, he does not mean to belittle the lives of those merchants. He does not mean to say hereby that our lives have little or no significance. For that is certainly not the case. The Lord God does not say that either. For he says in Luke 12, verse 24, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And we could read the same thing in Matthew 6. If our lives meant nothing to him, then Christ would not have done what he did. For he came to each and every person that belongs to him. He came for you and for me. And he also came for those readers to whom James is writing. For above all, these businessmen were also Christians. And as Christians, they bore the name of Christ. And that means that their lives indeed were very valuable to him. Their lives were so valuable that he did not spare any indignity, any humiliation that he had to suffer. And he paid also for their lives with his very blood. It was the most precious gift that anyone could give. No, when James mentions here the fact that their life is but a mist, he means to say that earthly life as such is only very short. At the end of our life here on earth, we will spend our eternity with God. The short time that we live here on earth is only a training for the life hereafter. 
And brothers and sisters, that is something that we must remember as well. Let me ask you, do you have a proper perspective of your life with God? Do you take God sufficiently into account as you plan your life? When we are young, it appears as if life will go on forever and ever. Young people live in their own strengths and abilities and in their own plans as if there is no end to their life here on earth. But when you speak to a person who is in the evening of his or her life, then he or she sees things quite differently. For he or she will tell you that their lives seems to have been nothing more than a breath. They look behind them and wonder where all the years have gone. In no time they reached old age. And if that is what it seems to man at the end of their life, just imagine what our lives seem like to the Lord. To him a thousand years is as a day. For God lives in eternity. And he looks at our lives from that perspective. He looks at us from his heavenly abode. And he sees how man busies himself with his everyday things. How we plot and how we plan. And how we attach ourselves to our earthly existence. How we cling to the things that we acquire for ourselves. How attached we become to this life. But don't forget that at any time the Lord can require your life. At any time he can end our earthly life. It can happen in this coming week. It can happen today even. And then you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And he will ask you what role he has played in your life. He will ask you what has been the most important thing in your life. God or what the world has to offer. How will you answer that? And therefore the Lord warns us today that it is foolish to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth. And this warning goes much deeper and is much more far-reaching than just the acquisition of earthly or material things. For he says these words not only to the rich, but he also says that to the poor. He says that to all Christians. He says that to me and to you. For we all have our treasures here on earth. For the one it may be the one thing and for another something else. There are those who are guilty because of sad and serious lapses in their spiritual life because of the worldly things on which they set their, their sights. That does not necessarily refer just to money or material things. For it is true that some people cannot be tempted by money. But they can be tempted by status and position. And they will pursue that with all their strength. They plan and they scheme until they have attained that exalted position on which they have set their sights. They are not so much interested in material wealth, but in the praise and recognition of mankind. And so when the devil comes and offers them a material bribe, they will smile at it. But when he comes with guile and in connection with their Christian calling, and the devil offers them in an exalted position, 
And then they persuade themselves that it is all for the Lord, and they accept it. They pride themselves in their seal for the Lord. They boast about it, just like James is speaking about those who boast. They boast about all the good things they do for the church and for others. But after a while, you notice that their heart is not in the right place. For in reality, they are doing it only because of the praise of man. And such people also want to lay treasures up for themselves here on earth. But also that is the wrong kind of treasure. In this way, the ministry of elders and ministers can be ruined if that is the main reason that they have a zeal for the Lord. For then they are only out for their own good name and cannot accept criticism or the lack of recognition by others. All of us have to be on guard against this kind of thing. We should all know better than to try to make a name for ourselves. If we would boast in anything, it should be in the Lord. He makes all things possible. Without his blessings, we will not prosper. As James says in the last verse of this text, whoever knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, sins. A Christian knows what the right thing is before the Lord. He knows that it is all the Lord willing. And then it is not just a matter of writing DV on all our official announcements. No, it is much more than that. Our whole lives should be spent in the knowledge that our lives are totally in the hands of the Lord. We come to the second point. As I said, there is nothing wrong in making plans for the future and in doing our utmost to succeed in our jobs, in our businesses. But the Lord does not want us to put our trust in these things. For if we do not trust in Him, we at some time will become very disappointed. For our goals are not always realized in the way that we plan. And then if our plans do not pan out, then we will become disappointed, even desperate. We can become depressed and feel as if we have failed in this life. And please remember that the Lord God measures success in a much different way than we do. He looks at our hearts and sees what lives inside of us. What really drives us? Let me ask you. What drives you? What is your passion in life? To be a success? What kind of success? In a godly sense or in a worldly sense? Please remember our jobs, our promotions, our positions at the workplace and in the church. They are only a means to an end. We are not given these things for our own benefit in the first place, but for the glory of God and for the furtherance of his kingdom. That is what always has to be uppermost in our minds. And therefore, the first thing to do is to have a right view of life. In this life, we are but pilgrims. We are walking through this world under the eye of God 
in the direction of God and towards our everlasting hope. If we always think of ourselves in this way, how can we go wrong? Our lives and our possessions do not belong to ourselves. That's also what the Lord God teaches us in Hebrews 11, which is the chapter about faith. There it speaks about the great men of faith. And one thing about their life stands out. Even though God is invisible to them, they knew that he exists and that he directs their lives. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 13, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were setting their sights on a better country, a heavenly one. We must always start with that great principle when we make our plans and when we acquire our possessions. If we do that, then also everything will fall into its true perspective. For then we begin to take a right view of our gifts and of our possessions. We begin to think of ourselves as stewards who must give account of them. We are not the permanent holder of these things. And then our zeal is in all things a zeal for the Lord and his kingdom. Then our labor and our plans are geared to bring glory to God's name. Then all our talents and all our possessions are put at his disposal. And then with such a state of mind, we're also much happier in our everyday lives. For you see, then you are free from worry. The kind of worry that the Lord Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6. For those people who anxiously plan their lives and who eagerly await the fruition of their plans, such people are not happy. To them, happiness is something which always lies in the future. Once the one goal has been realized, there is always a new goal to be obtained. And they do not enjoy each day as God has given them. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Lord does not want us to lead that kind of life. He wants you to be happy each day of your life. And he has so greatly blessed you already in this life. Aren't we prosperous? The Lord God gives us health. He gives us families to enjoy. He gives us Christian friends with whom we can have fellowship. He gives us an abundance of food. And he gives us more than adequate shelter. He gives us freedom. But above all, he has made us his own. Through Christ, we have been adopted as his children. Oh, what a great thing that is. Remember that at all times. Remember that during times of economic uncertainty and also during times of prosperity, as is the case today. Prosperity can be a dangerous thing, for it is alluring. And it makes us want more, and it makes us anxious to want more. And the Lord God warns us, put things into perspective. Do you want to look forward to something, brothers and sisters? Then look forward to be with Christ.
always. With him, your past, your present, and your future is secure. The treasures that he gives you can never be taken away from you. Indeed, this earthly life is but a breath. The Lord may terminate your life at any time. We do not know when our life here on earth will be up. And thus, we live in accordance with the will of God. If the Lord wills, we shall live and realize our plans. But our life with Christ will never end. That is our greatest treasure here on earth. Amen.